Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. If you're ready to get in the multifamily or you're already there, today you're going to want to pay attention to the ways you can get into the right financing for the long haul. No matter what happens to the market, you'll be able to maximize leverage and minimize risk. And we've got a great guest for you today on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Hi, this is Patrick Donahoe, CEO of Paradigm Life. Wall Street and banks spend billions of dollars per year in advertising with the goal to convince you that they are the solution. But take a look around. None of their advice has worked. If you're listening to this, odds are pretty good that you're already a real estate investor or at least becoming one. So why do you do it? Is it to hedge inflation, the tax benefits, or maybe it's to get your money away from Wall Street? It's because of these benefits and so many more that I created the Real Estate Investor's Guide to the Perpetual Wealth Strategy. When you combine successful real estate investing with the Perpetual Wealth Strategy, you have the recipe for what has helped the wealthy to establish their financial well-being for decades. You can download the Real Estate Investor's Guide to the Perpetual Wealth Strategy today by clicking the Resources tab on the Real Estate Guys Radio homepage. Don't wait. Go download it now. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. With me as usual, co-host, financial strategist, Russell Gray. Hey, Robert. You know, a lot of folks are interested in making the jump to multifamily. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're already invested in single-family assets and you're thinking, you know, apartment buildings are for me. Or maybe you just decide to start out in multifamily because of the economies of scale and the efficiency and all that. But uh, it's a different ball game. If all you've ever invested in is little greenhouses, jumping up to commercial loans, multifamily is a whole other world. Yeah, you know, I mean, I was in the mortgage business for a long long time and we focused on residential one to four and I used to teach a lot of classes on that and one of the things that people had to understand is even though you were still getting residential financing when you crossed over the line to five units it became commercial and it was to your point Robert a completely different ball game so if you're going to go down that path you got to have the right person on your team and it isn't going to be the person that's been funding your your single family homes or your duplexes or your little triplexes or fourplexes it's going to be a completely different guy or gal who's going to be the expert for you on your team who's going to help you get these loans done and of course just like in residential you You've got your private money or non-government money, and then you've got your government money. And then those are kind of the two basic categories. And inside of that, there's some nuances as well. But getting your mind around what the different options are is a big part of your financing strategy because loan programs are constantly changing, as is the economy, as is the interest rate environment. And so now you've got to make strategic decisions in the environment you're in. Which tool do I pull out of the toolbox from a financing point of view and apply to this particular deal or in my portfolio? Now, if you're a brand new investor, or a strictly single family investor, I'm going to encourage you to listen to the show today because it's important as an investor that you understand the nuances of finance, what it means to go under the underwriting process, and many of the things are the same but many are different when we come to commercial. So just so we have a definition, we talk about residential financing. That's for a single family house, a condominium, a two unit building like a duplex, three or four units, triplex, fourplex. And that one to four is kind of the category. And there's a whole group of lenders and companies that support that product. Once you get past five units and you're in commercial lending, it's a whole different group of rules, regulations, and companies that provide that type of financing. Some folks would argue it's a lot easier and it's a lot better and the rates are lower. Some folks would argue, well, it takes more time and it's so much more paperwork and it's so intense. And both of those things may be true. But for many people, they get to a point where they've achieved a portfolio that is at its maximum number of loans for an individual, we call Fannie and Freddie'd out. And you get to a certain number of houses and you can't get any more of those great loans. Yeah, and it's really interesting because when the financial crisis happened prior to that, yeah, money was everywhere. Everybody and their brother, every hedge fund, every investment bank, everybody was pouring money into mortgage-backed securities. And all that money was finding its way into Main Street through mortgage brokers like uh, like me. And so that was uh, a lot of fun. And then when it all dried up, you couldn't get funding anywhere. And it was really only government funding that became available. We used to laugh all the time when subprime lending went away, FHA, which was government-backed loans, became the new subprime. Right. It's where you took the loans that you couldn't place anywhere else. And well, and talk about that for a minute because not everyone understands how lending works. When you sit down with a loan professional, whether it's a broker or a banker or a private individual, in most cases, 
that person isn't giving you money. They're arranging for credit through a variety of different vehicles. Not to confuse you, but some of those are completely private and some have government backing or are actually government agencies. And you don't make a decision based on whether or not you want to have the government involved. It has to do with a couple of things. The collateral, what is the thing you're buying and is that appropriate for the particular lender and you, your profile, how's your credit, how's your experience, those things. And so government programs tend to be, all things being equal, a little better in terms of rates and fees. Well, I mean, the government is motivated, especially, you know, I mean, at least we're talking about the United States, but in most places, the government is motivated to help people buy homes and build homes and all of that. So that is a big part of their political agenda. Uh, voters tend to be more supportive of the politicians when they have a roof over their head as opposed to when they're sleeping under a bridge, right? So if you can help people get homes, the, the idea is that they like the politicians better. The government doesn't actually make loans directly. What they do is they create pools of money or they underwrite or they guarantee loans to make it a little bit easier. It's just like you can get a loan to go to college, but the government's not giving you the loan necessarily directly. They're guaranteeing the loan to the lender. What you'll get, just, just you probably heard the term conforming. If a loan conforms to, say, Fannie Freddie guidelines, then there's less risk in it because the person who's originating the loan, that's the person who's who you're dealing with, the loan originator, is going to originate that loan. Maybe they fund out of their own money, which would make them a direct lender, or they're going to broker. So they're just going to package up the loan and then they're going to send it off to somebody and they're going to fund it. Either way, the person who's actually making the loan is not in the picture for long because typically that loan is going to get sold in what's called the secondary market. These mortgages are securities and they trade in the secondary market typically. And so in order for them to be liquid in that secondary market, if they conform to the government guidelines, then people will buy and trade those things all day long. There's less risk, it's more liquid, so the interest rates are lower. When you go outside of that, either you go above the conforming loan limit, like a jumbo loan, or you go outside of the lending guidelines and the loan is somehow non-conforming, there's a risk premium on that and you pay a higher interest rate. So that's really all it comes down to. And that's true in uh, residential or small one to four and in commercial, you know, multifamily residential or other types of financing. So once you kind of understand those basic distinctions, uh, then you just have to make a decision. Is the brain damage of conforming to whatever the government guidelines uh, are, is that worth what you're getting in return? And that's just a business call you have to make once you understand what the cost and the fees and the hassle factors are. If you listen to our show for some time, you know, we talk about personal investment philosophy. That's who you are as an investor. And based on that, that's how you decide which which properties, which markets, and so forth. One of the things you're going to decide about is how long you expect to be in a property. And here's where we see a distinction between residential and commercial. Most residential loans, not all, but most, are going to be for 30 years. They're going to be amortized over 30 years. In other words, you're paying a fixed payment or it could be a variable payment based on an interest rate, but every payment includes some principal and some interest. And at the end of a fully amortized term, like 30 years, your last payment, your 360th payment, you're done. You paid off all the principal, all the interest which means you could own a home and have the same lender for 30 years. That's not usually true in the commercial space. Commercial loans are generally done for shorter terms, maybe 10 years. Here's the rub. If your loan is only 10 years long, I don't know about you, but my crystal ball is not that clear 10 years from now. I mean, I'm pretty good at seeing the next few months and what's happening, but beyond that, it gets kind of murky. And so who's to say what's going to happen 10 years from now? And yet here's another thing to understand about loans. Russ talked about risk premium. That's a price you pay if your loan or your collateral is more risky. There's also a premium you pay based on how long the term of the loan is. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we used to talk about this all the time in a seminar we did called Managing Your Mortgage for Maximum Net Worth. And back then, we were in a falling interest rate environment. I was a big advocate of shorter term loans because you'd get the benefit of the lower price and you didn't pay a premium to lock in the longer period of time. So you'd end up with a better rate. But as interest rates came down to the zero bound and kind of bounced down there and rates were, you know, four, three and a half in the high twos for single family homes, it no longer 
longer, in my mind, made sense to try to use short-term loans because pretty much the only direction interest rates could go were up or maybe just a tad down. To me, it wasn't worth the risk. So for listeners of the show for a long time, they know I've been much more an advocate of longer-term financing. Well, that's great in single-family homes. It's one of the things that we love about single-family homes or one-to-four residential units is you can lock in 30-year fully amortized money. You lock in that interest rate. You guarantee what your payment is. It's reasonably low because it's spread out over 30 years. doesn't mean you couldn't accelerate it if you wanted to. A lot of times people will say, oh, I'm going to get a 15-year loan so it gets paid off. Well, you get a little bit of an interest rate reduction for doing that. But to me, then you're forced to make that higher payment and a lot of it is pay down of principal. I can think of a lot of things I'd rather do with my principal payment than pay off a, a 3 or 4% loan, right? I can go somewhere and do better than that. Right. So the 30-year doesn't take away the ability to prepay the loan or pay it off faster if that's what I think is the best use of my money, but it doesn't obligate me to this much larger payment. So there's a lot to be said for long-term amortization. When you bounce over to commercial, they understand that. So you can get a loan that is amortized maybe over 20 or 30 years, but it's due in five or 10. That's called a balloon payment. And that's a time bomb because now you've got a loan with a nice low payment that gets you in the door, but five years, ready or not, whether your credit is ready or not, whether there's equity in the property ready or not, whether the interest rate environment is ready or not, you've got to redo that loan. And if you don't, You either have to make that payment, whatever it resets to, or in some cases, you have to pay the loan off and you don't even have the option. It's like having one of those car leases where at the end of the lease, you have to give the car back. You don't have the option just continuing to make the payment. And if you try to buy it out and they check your credit and you have lousy credit, guess what? You got to give the car back anyway. Now you can't go get a new car. So there's something to be said in an uncertain interest rate environment or in an uncertain financial environment for if you've got a good situation and you're committed to the property long term, if you can find a way to lock in that financing for the long term, nice low payment, nice low rate, no requirement to pay it back for decades, you might want to take a look at that. Well, again, it's personal investment philosophy. We get into a property with a plan and plan A might be, you know what this market looks like. It's on the rise and rents are up and occupancy is up. Let's get in for five years and sell. And of course, people that syndicate deals, put together money to do deals will often have their plan. We're going to get in and we're going to sell in five years. But as Russ pointed out, the market may not agree with that timeline. Something might happen. And we've been through that as investors where things have happened and the whole world has changed. And so what we're going to talk about today is how do you approach something as daunting as a multi-million dollar loan on a huge apartment complex, keeping in mind that times have and will again change. We want to make sure that we're getting as much leverage as we can because we love leverage but we want to minimize the risk where we can. That's what we're going to talk about today. And we've got a great guest. When we come back, you're going to meet our great guest today on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Live nationwide, you're listening to the Real Estate Guys. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com. Forbes rated Memphis the best cash flow market in the nation. And our good friend Terry Kerr at Mid-South Homebuyers has been the premier turnkey rental property provider in Memphis for over 13 years. With an A-plus rating for the Better Business Bureau, Terry has renovated over 750 houses. Real Estate Guys listeners have snapped up hundreds. Discover what these satisfied investors already know. Mid-South's properties are completely renovated with a one-year warranty and a lifelong rental guarantee. They're affordable, well-managed, and easy to own. Perfect for beginning investors and veterans alike. Get in on the action. Contact Terry and his team via email at midsouth at realestateguysradio.com. Hello, Robert Kiyosaki. Listen to the Real Estate Guys. They're wild and crazy, but they really know what they're talking about. Welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program. Heard every weekend on this great radio station all the time at realestateguysradio.com. And of course, your favorite podcast provider. We're talking today about lending on specifically multifamily properties. Once you get into apartments, the lending world is different. And the gentleman that you're about to meet, very experienced at that because he's been uh, focusing on this particular area for a long time. Very excited to have this uh, gentleman on uh, the program. Please welcome from Bonneville Multifamily, Mr. Paul Winter Road. Hey, Paul. Hello. 
It's great to be here. Well, great to have you. I know you've listened to the show for a while. I have, certainly. It's an honor to be here, and I'm excited to, to share some of my knowledge. Well, and we're super excited about what you do because it's so specific. And yet again, I'm going to reiterate, even if you're not in the market for multifamily, I think you're going to learn a ton today. But let's talk about some of the distinctions. And this show is 2017, so if you're listening to it at a different time, just know that a lot of this changes. But the basics are pretty much the same. We talked about uh, before you were on about you know how the way that the commercial and residential funding works. But today, where are we in the multifamily loan business? There, It's a great time to be in the business, frankly. The, the capital markets are very liquid and flowing, and there's a lot of money out there to get, uh, both from banks, from government entities such as Fannie and Freddie, and even uh, insurance companies and pension funds are, are big lenders in the in the commercial real estate and specifically the multifamily real estate space. You know, sometimes we have my dad on the program. He's been investing in seven different decades, and his belief is any time that interest rates have a single digit, that's good. We're now seeing that for the last many, many years, rates have held really well, and especially in the multifamily space. It seems like no matter what's happening in other financing arenas, there's always money for multifamily. Why is that? It's the number one asset class in commercial real estate. And you look at a, a risk perspective as far as the asset in a, in a retail or uh, even in an office setting, there's a limited number of tenants, but you get into a 200 door apartment building and there's 200 tenants. That's a pretty broad risk profile. And so there's a lot of people that can help pay that mortgage and keep things stable. And so it's, it's typically the darling uh, of the commercial real estate asset classes because there's always a need to put a roof over your head. Now, I know you're gonna have a lot to share for folks that are already in the apartment business and you're probably gonna learn some things you don't know, but let's start with folks who maybe own single family houses as rentals and they're thinking, well, gosh, multifamily sounds interesting. What are the primary things they need to know about getting a loan? Yeah, certainly. As Russell was explaining earlier, there's definitely some nuances and some differences when you get in, into that commercial space. And really for those people making that transition, the banks and the banking system is probably going to be your best bet uh, as far as making that, that transition. That doesn't mean it's the richest or the best terms out there. Not to throw any bank or banking system under the bus. It's great. It's, it's a very useful tool for investors and they need that. However, uh, there are some things that are different when you step into that commercial space. Uh, one of which is the balloon payment that's going to be very common. So as you guys uh, alluded to before, you're looking at a very common that we're seeing from local and regional banks for which would apply to those people making that transition or are five year terms uh, on a 25 year amortization. Typically that'll roll into some sort of floating rate after five years. It may not necessarily be a balloon, but you've got shorter amortization schedules and you don't exactly know what's going to happen in, in five years. So well, it, it can it. be a, a risky scenario. Well, that's really the challenge, right? If we're talking about sailing into unknown territory and the markets may change and likely will in the future, and there's all kinds of folks who believe that we're maybe near the top, if not at the top of the market. When you think about a product like multifamily, bread and butter tenants, the folks get up every day, go to work, pay their rent. Those folks are going to need to live somewhere, and it's why it's such a strong asset class. And yet when the financing changes, it can it can throw everything out. I mean, it seems like, well, five years, that's a lot of time. But I know in your situation, you've run into folks who thought that way and come came to learn differently. <laughs> yeah, uh, we could call it a Halloween horror story, if, if you will. <laughs> But actually, a, a new friend of mine, uh, someone I'm working with now that's trying to get back in the multifamily space, actually, in a partnership, bought a multifamily property in Las Vegas. And we, we all know the saying or the tagline, what, st what happens in Vegas stays, stays in, Vegas. in Vegas. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, this was, this was a similar scenario. Uh, it was a value-add type play for these, these four individuals. And all in, they'd invested about $3 million between their down payment and how they'd Im improved the property. Just so happens they purchased the property in 2004 from a major bank uh, and it had a five-year term. If you do the math, that term came due in 2009. Ouch. Yes, horrible timing. They had done nothing wrong. They'd made every single payment. They'd put hundreds of thousands of dollars into the property to improve it. Las Vegas is a strong market for apartments. Absolutely, and it was very strong up until the crash. Yeah. But they fell hard and it became an undesirable asset not from a, a cash flow or anything, but from a lending perspective, because the capital markets were frozen. So what happened? They begged and pleaded again, never having missed a payment, the bank wouldn't work with them. Uh, the bank ended up selling the loan to a shark, 
which then foreclosed on the property and they lost it. Wow. They lost all $3 million. Not only that, which is a, it's a huge thorn in the side, but they also lost the asset, any future uh, income and, and potential upside for that. And uh, again, not doing anything wrong, uh, being beholden to the capital markets and what happened outside their control uh, was certainly, certainly a, a real scary and, and sad situation. Well, and especially for the folks who are listening who haven't done multifamily before and would approach it the same way they have, you know, residential assets and thought, well, you know, I guess the lender says five-year loan, okay, five-year loan, and we can refinance. We don't assume we can refinance. Something is going to happen. So what's the solution for that? How does a person make a decision who's sitting there looking at an asset they'd like to acquire of how long do I need to have the loan for? Well, everyone has their different profiles, like you said. But there is one loan program out there, and it's actually a government loan that actually solves this problem. It's really the only loan in the commercial real estate world that doesn't have a balloon payment, that has a fully amortizing term on it. Uh, this is a HUD, a Housing and Urban Development Program, through the FHA, the Federal Housing Administration, that administers these multifamily programs because the mission of FHA is to provide affordable housing to the masses, to the country. And of course, the good news is they don't want to do it directly. They want to have entrepreneurs step up and buy these assets and rent them out, but they're going to provide a channel, a conduit to be able to get the financing. And so these are then fully amortized loans and they're for how long? Correct. Uh, up to 35 years on a purchase acquisition or wow. a refinance. And they actually do development loans for new construction that it's a 42 year loan. Wow. It's, it's amazing. Uh, the construction period is a two-year period of interest only, and it rolls, it's a one-time close, it rolls into the permanent financing on a 40-year amortization schedule. Wow. Okay, so lots to talk about here. I guess the first is, if you're buying an apartment building and you're expecting to have it and keep it for the long haul, this sounds like a great loan because like a single family loan, you can keep it for those 30 or 35 years. And when you've made the last payment, it's paid off and you own it outright. Absolutely. We tell our clients that this is, this is the closest loan they can get to a residential loan. And again, it can be scary making that transition from residential to commercial space because right. we're familiar with those terms. But these FHA loans are very similar to those uh, as far as the terms that, that people are accustomed to growing up. Well, I would think based on the fact that so many commercial loans have these other limitations that there must be some trade-off for that. What does it look like in terms of loan to value, points, interest rates, fees, those kinds of things? Yeah, there, there's a lot to, to consider there. There's not just one thing. It's easy for people to just look at a rate and say, hey, this is, you know, I'm going to make my whole loan decision based on a rate. Fortunately, the FHA rates are bottom of the barrel. They're very attractive. And the, one of the reasons for this is these loans are backed by the full faith and credit of the federal government. HUD actually insures these loans. There's a variety of different, what are called HUD map lenders. That's a multifamily accelerated processor. These are the companies that have been authorized to originate uh, these loans, and the federal government then ensures that they'll be uh, they'll be paid back. They're they're securitized uh, through the Ginnie Mae market, and so that again keeps the flow of capital going. However, the rates are very compelling. Right now, uh, high threes, uh, low fours, uh, depending on whether it's a, a purchase or a, or a new construction. Okay, and what kind of loan to value typically? So most commercial loans are in that 75 to maybe 80% range if you're in a really strong, good market. But, yeah. a, but a good good way to think of a commercial loan is a 75% loan to value. Uh, on FHA, on a purchase acquisition, uh, we can go up to 85% okay. loan to value. So you're really maximizing your leverage there. Take an example of a, a $10 million loan at a 5.5% five, five interest rate. Okay. To really understand what the difference there, a 25-year amortization, your monthly payment's going to be around $55,000. Okay. On a 35-year, that's $47,000. Big difference. Big difference. Then it becomes material, right? And, and that's at the same interest rate. The exact same interest it's rate. It's just the amortization yeah. is different. And obviously, the longer amortization, the lower the payment. But also, remember, why would lenders do that? The longer the amortization, the more interest the lender makes. Correct. That's true. But it also improves your cash flows. Oh, right? a lot. So if you look at the difference there, that's about a little over 8000 a month 
that's almost a hundred thousand dollars a year. I mean, that's that's enough money to take your whole family to the investor summit at sea. <laughs> right on, and you should. <laughs> okay, so that's covered a couple things: what the loan to value is for these kinds of assets, and then also amortization. What about the construction loans? What does that look like in terms of amortization and loan to value? Yeah. So again, we can do up to an eighty-five percent loan to cost on that, which is unheard of. Really, yeah. if you if you go knock on the door of a bank these days, it's probably going to be closer to. 60 to 70% loan to cost. There's been a lot of development over the last few years. It's been a real rich market. A lot of banks are, are seeing that things are overdeveloped, perhaps. That doesn't mean there isn't still opportunity, but banks are pretty conservative. Sure. And so again, the mission of HUD is to provide housing. And so there's still a need and still opportunity. And so 85% loan to cost uh, on a multifamily asset on that 42-year loan. You have two years of interest only for your construction period, and that rolls into a 40-year term in amortization. All right, good stuff. Well, our guest today is Paul Winterrode. We're talking about financing and multifamily, especially for the long haul. If you wanted to squeeze out some of the risk in order to maximize your leverage, some great loan programs available. When we come back, we'll ask Paul about things like qualification and paperwork and timeline and appraisals and all that fun. Plus, we'll play real estate trivia next. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Real estate investment advice right in your mailbox. Sign up for the free Real Estate Guys newsletter at realestateguysradio.com. Discover the red-hot Dallas real estate market up close and personal. Attend American Real Estate Investment Property Tour and Workshop April 21st through the 23rd. Meet a great team of dedicated acquisition specialists, property managers, and financing sources. Enjoy a guided tour of investment neighborhoods and properties, including some available for immediate investment. Send an email to dfwtour at investmentpropertyshowcase.com. That's dfwtour at investmentpropertyshowcase.com. Are you ready to profit in paradise? Hi, it's Robert Helms. And if you think real estate investing means tenants, toilets, and termites, think again. Located just a short plane ride from the U.S., a virtually untouched paradise awaits. The beautiful country of Belize. When you go to Belize with the Real Estate Guys, you'll spend four fabulous days discovering one of the most intriguing real estate markets I've ever seen. With its jungle rainforests, pristine beaches, and 81-degree turquoise water, Belize is one of the most beautiful places on Earth. Plus, it's considered one of the top seven tax havens in the world. Belize property is on the rise, and many experts think the best is yet to come. But don't just take my word for it. Come experience Belize firsthand at our upcoming investor field trip. When you join us, you'll discover the many reasons we love Belize, like tremendously undervalued beachfront land, super low taxes, ease of doing business, and so much more. Get the details at realestateguysradio.com. Just click on events. See paradise for yourself. Click events at realestateguysradio.com, and I'll see you in beautiful Belize. Hi, this is Steve Forbes. You're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Have fun. You'll learn something. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for listening to the show. Be sure and tell a friend about The Real Estate Guys and come with us on the Investor Summit at Sea. Just a few cabins left if you want to spend a week with Peter Schiff, Tom Hopkins, G. Edward Griffin, and Robert Kiyosaki. Oh, and The Real Estate Guys. Then definitely hit the website, realestateguysradio.com, and click on the button that says Summit at Sea. We're talking today about multifamily financing and this amazing government loan program that's fully amortized. Before we get back to our interview with Paul Winterrode, it's time to play Real Estate Trivia, your chance to win a prize. By knowing today's Real Estate Trivia question, in just a minute, when I ask you the question, you're going to quickly fire off your answer to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Trivia at realestateguysradio.com. The first person with the right answer is going to win the latest book from Summit at Sea faculty member Robert Kiyosaki. It's called Second Chance. If you heard the interview we did with Robert a few weeks back, you know he's got some new books coming out this year. But right now, Second Chance is a great book and his most recent one. That could be yours if you know today's real estate trivia question. Last week on The Real Estate Guys, we were talking about the Texas real estate market and we asked this. Texas is the only state in the U.S. to have the flags of six different nations fly over it. Name them. I often talk about the six flags of Texas well. Those different jurisdictions, if you will, that at one point governed Texas include Spain, France, Mexico, the Confederate States, the Republic of Texas, and now, of course, the United States of America. Here's our real estate trivia question for this week. Which U.S. city has the highest number of historic districts? 
You know, big cities tend to have a historic district, a place that tourists go and so forth. Well, which U.S. city has the most historic districts? And it's a lot. If you think you know or want to take a guess, send your email to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Include your name, the answer to the question, and your physical mailing address so we can send you out Second Chance by Robert Kiyosaki. That's today's real estate trivia question. We're talking with Paul Winterroad about financing for multifamily property. And Paul, this loan program sounds amazing. Uh, let's talk about what it takes specifically to get into a program like this, If especially if someone's not done a multifamily loan. Talk about the process, the paperwork, everything that's required. Yeah, so from a general perspective, when you get into, into commercial financing, there's a couple things that are, are key litmus tests for people in that space. And experience is, is certainly a question that, that will come up uh, for the newbie. Any bank, even, even FHA, is going to want to know, hey, have you done this before? Is this going to be a good risk? And so having some, some sort of history or real estate resume is very important. And it may be even necessary to bring in a partner, someone who has, has done this before. Because uh, while it's possible, uh, if you knock on the door for the first time and say, hey, I want to get into this space, I want to borrow millions of dollars, it can be a, a little daunting. I own one rental house and now <laughs> I like to buy 500 units. Yeah, let me give you a loan here, right? <laughs> a couple things to, to keep in mind. We are always looking at net worth and liquidity. Uh, of our borrowers. And so from a net worth perspective, a good general run of the mill in the commercial space is, is a one-to-one -one ratio. So if you want to borrow $5 million, you'll have a net worth of $5 million to counteract that, so to speak, or just yep. uh, show that uh, this isn't your first rodeo. With FHA, we can, we can get below that, even as low as 25% to one ratio as far as net worth to loan amount. So there's some benefits there. Uh, from a liquidity standpoint, when we say liquidity, we want to see that our borrowers have uh, some cash on hand, some cash assets on the side that uh, are available should anything go wrong. And you know what? This is just prudent business in general. Absolutely. And, and a lot of times residential lenders will want you to have a few months up to maybe six months of money for the payments and the cost of the property. And this just makes sense because lenders know, like we all know, that things can and will change. And you might have a building that's just rocking on all cylinders, but the markets change, new competitor comes into town, a big layoff from one of the big employers, lots of things can happen. So they want to make sure you have some ballast and this is for your own good. Absolutely. If you don't want to put your last uh, two nickels into a deal to get no. it done. So uh, typically on, in the FHA programs, uh, a minimum li liquidity it would be 5% uh, of the loan amount. Uh, a lot of commercial loans like to see it a little richer, uh, closer to to 10%. Now, is it all cash or cash equivalents like uh, stocks and bonds and metals and things like that? Does that count? You can use some paper assets, stocks and bonds, gold, silver, that that wouldn't qualify uh, the precious metals. And we do want that outside of a retirement account. So if it's in a 401k or IRA, typically not going to use that to qualify for that And when you talk liquidity. about these ratios, whether it's 25% or, or, or one to one, is that the combined team? Everyone who's, who's a guarantor? Yes, absolutely. So it's if there are three or four partners, it can be that combined net worth and liquidity to, to meet those qualifications. Now, what about on a, like a classic real estate syndication? I would guess that many of the multi-deals that you see have folks raising money to do it. How does that look to the lender? Absolutely. That's going to be considered the equity piece. And so there's, there's this group that's going to be contributing equity. It could be one individual. It could be 100, so to speak. But we're still going to need a lead sponsor or a lead sponsorship group that's going to meet those qualifications. Uh, we're not going to underwrite 50 people say that have contributed money on a syndication type deal. So you'll still need someone that will, will have those financial chops to, Excellent. to qualify for the loan. And so just so we're clear, you don't work for FHA. You're not part of the government. Your company helps people find the right financing for whatever they need. And in this case, you have a lot of history with this particular loan program. So it's your mission to be on the borrower side of the fence, if you will. You're going to underwrite. You're going to look at their experience and their track record and their ballast and all of that to help them structure it in such a way that has the best chance for success. Absolutely, without a doubt. Uh, our philosophy in our business is to do what's best for the, the customer, period, paragraph. I mean, that end of story. We have a lot of different solutions. FHA is one of them. We love FHA because there's, there's some very compelling reasons to use it. Uh, we've got, got other alternatives. And if we don't have the right loan for the investor, if they're not ready, 
uh, to invest according to our underwriting and criteria, we'll tell them. We'll tell them where they can go or what they need to do to get there. But we're not uh, certainly out there just to sell a certain type of loan or just uh, give them anything just because they want it. It's got to make sense. Sure, absolutely. And and let's talk about the rest of the process. So once you've kind of hit this level of qualification, what does the paperwork look like, application and so forth? What about appraisals? What about estoppels or rent rolls? What is it that you're collecting as you're underwriting, not just the borrowers, but the property? Yeah, even, even taking a step back, I think it's important to understand why uh, we are gathering information and they're and we have these financial requirements. Uh, a loan, if you look at a loan from a risk perspective on the lender side, there can be a lot of risk to the lender. And so we want to mitigate and understand that risk as well as we can. As borrowers, we think, well, I'm taking on risk by buying this property. What if it goes wrong? Well, the lenders becomes your partner right. and they're investing. <laughs> they become a 75% or even 85% as we're talking about partner in this deal. And so they've got a lot uh, of risk in this as well. And so we want to try to mitigate that risk as, as much as possible. One thing to consider, especially with these FHA loans, is they're, they're what is called a non-recourse loan. And the difference for the investors who don't know between recourse and non-recourse uh, is simply that on a non-recourse loan, only the property is the collateral. You're not personally guaranteeing that loan. On a recourse loan, which is very common in the banking world, uh, you are guaranteeing that loan. Well, not in the banking world and commercial, but of course, every residential loan, even hard money and private money, you are at risk. All of your assets are at risk. If you've got that big stack of money in the bank, they're going to want to see it in your case. They just can't necessarily get to it because the property is the collateral, which brings up this whole idea that is a little different, Paul, in, in commercial financing in that typically if I'm going to buy a fourplex, the lender's looking at me, my ability Absolutely. to income, my assets, my experience, my credit score. They're going to appraise the property, but they're not as concerned with the property itself, maybe the viability of it in the marketplace. But when it gets to commercial, it is all about the asset and also uh, something called debt coverage ratio. Can you speak to that? Uh, yes. So the debt coverage ratio is how well the property supports the underlying debt. So it's simply the net operating income divided by the annual debt service. What we're looking for on a minimum basis and, and most commercial loans is 1.25. So the net operating income, so you got your gross revenues or rents, subtract all your expenses, that gets you to your net operating income. Yep. And from there, you pay your debt and take your profit. So that we want to see that there's plenty of net income to cover that debt service. And, and, so, and again, this is for your protection. You don't want to have to dip into your savings or call your investors and make a cash call. You want to make sure that the property supports the financing and so does a lender. Absolutely. And that's why coming back to a question a minute ago, as far as what we're looking for from the underwriting process. And so typically on an, on an existing stabilized property, uh, we want to see uh, at least 90 days of occupancy at 90% or above. Okay. And to verify that, we're going to ask for a trailing 12 uh, operating statement. Essentially, your profit and loss statement for the, on a month-by-month -month basis. From the existing the last, owner. From the existing owner yep. from the last 12 months. You'd be surprised. You'd be amazed at how, how uh, many people are, are out there that don't keep good records. So whether you're new or experienced, uh, if you need to hire a bookkeeper, keep good records. It's going to help you sell your property. And ultimately, this is how we derive value. Uh, but we also like to see annuals from the previous two to three years uh, on that operating statement. And we want to see a current rent roll. That, that's kind of your bare minimum is what we're looking for from, from the initial underwriting analysis. And as we dig in, it gets a little deeper, but that's, that's the main starting point. Well, let's talk about a situation where you have a less than stellar asset. Does this work if I'm going to buy an apartment building and do some rehab? So not ground up construction, but it's a property that's maybe at 70% occupancy. And my plan is to go in and to fix the units up and to turn them over and to get new tenants in. Does this loan work for that? That exact scenario, it probably wouldn't. There is a substantial rehab program. It's really close to a construction loan. But candidly, there's a lot that goes into it, and there's some better vehicles to make that happen. In that scenario, what you'd really want is uh, some sort of bridge facility because your long-term permanent financing really wouldn't come into play, and it wouldn't maximize either uh, your leverage, and you'd, you'd probably have some sort of prepayment penalty on that uh, long-term financing as well. So you'd want a bridge loan that's typically a 
an interest only type payment. You can get down to a one to one kind of debt coverage ratio. And so you can put that capital investment, improve that property, get the leased up. So you're maximizing your value and then rolling it into a, a more permanent type vehicle. Awesome. So not to get too far down the rabbit trail here, but imagine that was the scenario. We want to do some of the rehab work, but ultimately we're interested in this very loan you're talking about. That might be six or eight months into this project with this bridge facility. How soon do I, as a borrower, need to be looking at this program and do you need to be involved in that conversation early on? Yeah, the, the earlier the better, certainly. HUD loans are notorious for being a little slower than the typical commercial loans. Yes. And, it's, and it's helpful to understand some of those distinctions as well because it, you, you talk to your bank or if you're getting a Fannie or Freddie loan, it's typically going to be a, a 60 to 90 day process. That can it, that can go a little longer, but if you're on the ball and moving quickly, that's that's what you're looking at. So two to three months typically. On the permanent financing on the on the FHA loans, uh, you're looking at probably four to six months. So wow. you're adding you're you're adding at least at least a month, probably two or three. And the reason behind that is HUD is insuring these loans. And again, coming back to this risk profile, if we are giving you more money, we're increasing your leverage. If we have a, a rock bottom interest rate and it's a non-recourse loan and it's got this longer amortization, there's more risk. And so there's more underwriting, frankly. And uh, when you are dealing with the federal government, they're great people, they, they do great work, but it's more of a nine to five person that you're right. working with rather than a deal maker, yeah. right? And that, that's the distinction. That's where some of the frustration comes in. And frankly, a lot of people will, will throw FHA or HUD under the bus because, hey, it takes a little longer. Well, grandma always used to tell me, good things come to those who wait. So right. this, this may not be the right loan program, but again, if you can be patient, if you're willing to go through a little more paperwork and potential, you know, underwriting, it can be it can be a great solution. Well, the good news is that there are folks like yourselves that specialize in this very animal. So this is something you've done again and again. You know where the bodies are buried, so to speak, and you can work that process through. What about the seller side? When I approach the seller with an offer and I say I need six months to close the loan. Yeah, and, and real candidly, that's that's a challenge, especially in today's climate. There's a low number of available properties out there, and so sellers are, it's a seller's market, right? And so uh, one way we can work through that, and it, it becomes just a little more cumbersome, is some sort of bridge facility if there is a is an immediate need to close on a, on a property. If this is really the, the terms that you want, it can be done. We do just a bridge to that uh, to that loan. What about, let's say during that four to six months, how much of that can I get working on before I even have the property in mind? Is there some of that time that is just collecting data on the individuals and the sponsors? Yeah, uh, typically what we like to see from, from all of our borrowers is an REO schedule. Every real estate investor should have this. They should have a list of all their assets that uh, lists out exactly what they own, what percentage they own, what outstanding debt is on that. Uh, we wanna know that, that history and that experience. Yep. Uh, also a personal financial statement. It's real simple. That's essentially details out your net worth. So what, you know, what assets you own, what liabilities you have outside of your real estate and including your real estate. And those are the two key documents that we gather from our borrowers to do some, the, the credit analysis uh, on them. So they're great tools. Uh, Speaking a lot of local RIAs and always encourage uh, these new investors to put together uh, their personal financial statement, uh, their REO schedule, and, and even a resume highlighting the, the deals that they've been involved with. Well, and to your point, that's going to be useful information anyway. You ought to have that. Not every investor does. But you will find as you continue to build your portfolio, more and more you're going to want to have that stuff current. Well, Paul, this sounds great. I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of opportunity. Obviously, you have to temper that with the fact that it takes a little longer and you have to have a little patience, but to get to 85% loan to value and a fully amortized loan, so without no ticking time bomb, probably worth that. Paul's gone ahead and uh, put together a, a great report since not everyone listening is interested in multifamily. Hopefully, at least you've got a good flavor of it. But for those of you that are going, pick me, pick me, I want this loan. Uh, what I would suggest you do is get the uh, report Paul's put together called What Every Multifamily Investor Must Know About FHA Financing. You can get a free copy of that by sending an email to FHA at realestateguysradio.com, FHA at realestateguysradio.com, and we'll whisk you out that report. Paul, what are some things people should know that you wish your borrowers knew before they got involved with this process? That's a great question. And and really uh, what we come up against is the timing 
right? People think that timing is everything or rate is everything. And, and I would just argue that it's not. Those are certainly important factors. When you're getting a deal done, time, time is of the essence. We understand that. And, interest, and, and an interest rate is important. Uh, you've got to have a, a market and a competitive rate. But there's other things to consider. And, and that's, that's what we're trying to do here. And that's the message that we try to, to share that, hey, there are other benefits that can be very compelling benefits. And if it takes another month or two, uh, or you're paying 10, 15 bips higher on a rate, there are, some, there are some things to look at. I mean, even just coming back to the, to the leverage, uh, the 85% leverage. Uh, an example we use on a, let's, let's take a $10 million property to show how, how compelling this can be. Yeah. Typical financing, let's say that 75% loan to value, you'd need two and a half million dollars. Put an FHA loan on it, you only need a million and a half dollars. What does that really mean to you? You still have this $10 million asset, but you have another million dollars on the side. Well, and the most expensive money you have is the equity you raise, and the less you have to raise, the better the whole thing looks. Absolutely. So it's not just a million dollars, but if you look at what that can control at another at leveraged at 85% again, that's $6.6 .6 million. Right. So just looking at the loan and the leverage that you're using, uh, you can control over $16 million of real estate, whereas most people say, well, if I can get this loan done in a month quicker, I'm only going to be able to control $10 million. Well, which, which would you prefer? All right. Excellent point. Well, Paul, it's been great stuff. Very excited about uh, this loan program, and we sure appreciate you having it on the program. Absolutely. My pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Again, if you want to get Paul's report, what every multifamily investor must know about FHA financing, simply send an email to FHA at realestateguysradio.com. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. More when we come back. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Need help with your real estate investment portfolio? Check out the resources page at realestateguysradio.com. All aboard, it's last call for the Real Estate Guys 15th Annual Investors Summit at Sea. We're nearly sold out, just a few cabins remaining for you to spend a week with like-minded investors, world-class educators, and real-world professionals. Returning this year are sales legend Tom Hopkins, international developer Beth Clifford, attorney Mauricio Raul, commercial mortgage broker and syndicator Michael Becker, and the author of The Creature from Jekyll Island, G. Edward Griffin. Also returning are Peter Schiff and Robert Kiyosaki. It all begins April 1st, 2017 in Houston, Texas, so hurry. Visit realestateguysradio.com and click on the tab that says Summit to learn more and reserve your spot. This transformational week is like no conference you've ever attended. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click Summit and make plans to spend a week with the Real Estate Guys, Robert Kiyosaki, and an all-star faculty on the 15th Annual Investors Summit at Sea. Hi, this is Chris Martinson, author of Prosper, and you are listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for tuning into the show. Hey, be sure and tell a friend about The Real Estate Guys. Who knows who you know that might want to know more about real estate and things like multifamily financing. What a wealth of knowledge Paul is. Yeah, it's really fascinating. You know, these, these loan products, they really can get kind of niche -y. Yes. You know, when you talk about a loan process that's four to six months, you need you need a safari guide. You need somebody that's been through the jungle before and kind of <laughs> knows where the lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, are hiding. But, you know, when you get through that whole process, at the end of it, what do you have? An amazing loan. Well, you do. And, and a lot of people, I mean, they don't think about debt as an asset. But I think what Paul closed with right there was really profound. It was great to hear him say it because I thought I was like one of the few guys in the world that really thought that way. It's like, what do you give up when you can't get to optimal amounts of leverage? Right. When the loan programs you're using inhibit your ability to get to an optimal amount of leverage, then all you're stuck with is a little bit of extra cash flow. And people say, oh, the extra cash flow is great. It is, but it's not that great. Compared to what, It's right? not, yeah, I mean, when you think about what you can do when you can control more top-line real estate, when you can have more tenants, more doors, more opportunities to add value, it's not just a matter of saying, oh, I can control that much more real estate because I didn't have to put an extra million dollars into the property. It's I can go accumulate another 100, 200, 300 tenants. Now I have a more diverse stream of income. If those tenants that I acquired are in properties where there's an extra $25, $30, $40 a month I can eke out, now I can force a lot of value into that property and create a whole bunch more equity. And so if you were inclined, you know, you could, you could lever up a little bit and maybe be a little bit on the heavy side of leverage, force the equity, do a refinance, 
get that leverage back to where you want it to be based on the new value. And maybe you're not quite even as leveraged as you were going in. But at the end of the day, you end up owning more real estate. And that is what you're after. You know, if you're excited about getting a loan for X, then you probably would be excited about getting a loan for X plus 20 or 30%, right? If you can get an extra five or 10 or 20% on the loan. Well, again, you would be because you think as of the loan as an asset. Most people are scared to death of debt. They want less debt, not more debt. As Robert Kiyosaki always talks about, the reason he loves real estate is because it allows him to get debt. He really loves debt. Yeah, but think about this. I mean, he's talking about this being a non-recourse loan. That's like the holy grail of, of commercial lending. So number one, right out of the gate, that's awesome. Yep. High leverage rates, awesome. You've got low interest rates, awesome, right? You've got long terms, fixed rates and fixed terms without balloon payments and things to worry about. That's awesome. The price you pay, it's a little bit more in fees maybe on the front end and it's a little bit more of a pain in the rear end going through it. But the flip side of all that extra brain damage is pretty strict underwriting. And if you're brand new or relatively new, that strict underwriting is actually like a safety net for you. Well, there's more to it than that. Most of these loans on these types of properties are done through syndications, a group of investors, the promoter, the sponsors, the one putting this together. As that promoter or sponsor, you're adding a ton of value when you're the one navigating all this stuff. It's difficult. That's great. That means your passive investor doesn't have to deal with it. You're dealing with it. And at the end of the day, they get a better return. So it's certainly worth some consideration. And clearly a loan like this isn't for everybody. But if you're in the multifamily space and you didn't know about it, you're salivating right now. So you're going to want to get the report. If apartments aren't even on your radar, this at least hopefully has you thinking about some prudent business practices like keeping great records, making sure your personal financial statement is up to date and that you have a schedule of real estate owned because those are going to be things moving forward you're going to need more of and not less of. And liquidity. <laughs> you talked about liquidity. That's important. And debt coverage ratio. I mean, that's something you need to be paying attention to. All right. Good stuff. Big thanks to Paul for sharing his information with us. Be sure you get a copy of his report, what every multifamily investor must know about FHA financing, more deals, things by like assumability and cash out refinancing and a lot of other great tools this loan has. All you have to do is send an email to FHA at realestateguysradio.com. It is last call for our investors summit at sea. We are almost sold out and on our way to getting sold out. Can you imagine spending a week with the chief economist of Fannie Mae? I was just thinking that. Well, Dr. Doug Duncan will be with us this year. And you can imagine the conversations between that guy and Robert Kiyosaki. Oh, yeah. And, and Peter, Peter Schiff. Schiff. Yep. It's going to yep. be awesome. Uh, go to the website at Real Estate Guys Radio and click on Summit at Sea. Next week, it's one of our favorite guests. It's you. Ask the guys. If you have a question for the Real Estate Guys, simply go to the website at realestateguysradio.com and click Ask the Guys. And who knows, maybe next week we'll answer your question. Until then... Go out and make some equity happen. Hi, Robert Kiyosaki, probably best known for the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I'm here, here with great friends, the real estate guys, Robert Helms, Russell Gray. If you guys have a chance, go on the Real Estate Guys cruise. I'll be on the next one, 2017. They're getting better and better every year. Every year I go on, I go, it can't get any better than the last one. <laughs> but it gets better. And the reason it gets better is because the people get better. Many, many people repeat coming back. Look, the most important thing, more important than money are the people you hang out with. So if you want to start hanging out with better, newer, smarter people, that's what the Real Estate Guys Cruise is about. You spend all this time, great food, great ports, great fun, stimulating ideas. And when you leave that ship, the cruise, totally different person. So I look forward to seeing you on the Real Estate Guys Cruise. I look forward to it every year, you know, schedules permitting. But on the 20th anniversary of Rich Dad, I'd rather be with these guys than anyplace else. This episode of the Real Estate Guys Radio Show is brought to you by Paradigm Life. Powerful cash management strategies using life insurance. Learn more at beyourbank.com. Mid-South Home Buyers, low-cost, turnkey cash flow properties in Memphis, Tennessee. Corporate Direct, asset protection strategies for real estate investors from attorney and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton. Find these and other great companies under the Resources tab at realestateguysradio.com. To learn how you can expose your product or service to the Real Estate Guys audience, call 888-489-7723, extension 4. That's 888-489-7723, extension 4. Or use the feedback page at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week right here on the Real Estate Guys Radio Show.